So I care a lot about this first question. Why don't we read actual contracts? You will, if you're smart enough, I don't mean smart, but smart enough to choose your curricular path accordingly. But you need to remember that first things first. First year law school is about learning certain basics. And I tell my contract students, we're not here to learn contracts. We're here to learn how to make arguments about contracts. Now, it's true that much of the approach that you'll get in your first year is how would I be a litigator as opposed to how would I become a transactional lawyer. In the middle of this course, there is a chapter, I know Me Too will get to it down the road, where we talk about uh, contractual relations and interaction of behaviors between contracting parties in, in managing a contract. And that's a transactional chapter, and it asks a different set of questions. How can we write a contract to solve the problem that produced this case? So one of the reasons you read a case, and that chapter will uh, reveal it to you, one of the reasons you read a case is, if you're interested in transactional work, is to ask the question, if I had been the lawyer, could I have written the contract in a way that would have prevented this litigation? Because litigation is death. It's the equivalent of being a pathologist, looking at death and saying, where's the disease? What happened? Could we make it better? Okay. So there will come a time in the course of the semester when it is appropriate for you to think as a transactional lawyer to look at each case from the pathologist standpoint and say, why did the patient die? But you start off with a different approach. And that different approach is it's not enough to read the contract. You have to learn to make an argument about that because that's what lawyers do. Our basic fundamental skill, whether we are transactional lawyers or litigators, our basic fundamental skill is that we can do one thing that other disciplines can't do anywhere near as well. That's our belief, that's our conceit. And it is we know how to make good legal arguments, good arguments per se. One of the things you'll learn, which is really important, uh, uh, as you graduate from law school, You'll get a job, uh, you'll wonder whether the long hours are worth it, uh, and sometimes you'll wonder, has that educational experience been something that's intrinsically valuable? And then you'll join a, a, a nonprofit group as a, a board of, of your local uh, apartment co-op or of, of your local religious uh, uh, entity. And people will be sitting around arguing about, well, what should we do? And you'll say, you know, here's, here's the issue. We either do this or we do that. And people will look at you with their mouths agape. How, how did you know how to do that? Well, that's what we know how to do. We know how to take the world in all its complexity and we break it into a binary. Those of you who do computer coding, you've come to the right place, right? It, because all of law and legal argumentation is, is just alternative choices, all right? So what you're learning now when you read these cases initially is to look at them and ask two lawyers uh, or a group of lawyers on either side represented each of these clients, each of these people, and they made arguments. And one of them won and one of them lost. And the good question to ask yourself to keep yourself on your toes and to make sure Me Too answers it for you is, well, what, what could have been done here? What argument might have been made by the other side that would have allowed them to prevail, right? Because that's what you're learning for this first half of your um, semester in, in law school. And that is how to make good legal arguments uh, using contracts 
as simply the tool. And so, yeah, you learn a lot of contract doctrine, but if all you learn is the doctrine, you have missed the skill. And what you are really grasping here in the first year in law school, your, 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 your learning curve is going to be enormous, is you're developing this skill. And it is a unique and capable skill uh, of being able to make good arguments, arguments that allow other people to be persuaded by what you are trying to do. So think of it that way and ask, keep asking yourself, could I have made this a better argument? What argument could have been made better? Now, why do we read these old uh, random? Is that the word? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're not random. They're stories. Now, there's a good reason for that. If you think of yourself as just learning to make arguments, one of the things you'll learn when you get beyond where you're taking corporations and corporate finance and the courses that Steve teaches is that, is that you read a contemporary uh, contracts case out of the Supreme Court of Delaware, and it's 45 pages long. It is really complicated, and it's full of awful lot of financial material that you're not at all interested in, and you're wading through just trying to see what the arguments are. In the old days, when some of these cases were decided, uh, they, were, they were short. Uh, the stories were brief, and they're interesting because they're, they're, they're selected for several reasons. One is because it's nice for you to understand the history of the law, history of this area of contract law. It's not very old. Contract law only developed at the uh, beginning of the Industrial Revolution, at the end of the 19th century, start of the, uh, uh, of the uh, I'm sorry, the beginning of the 19th century. Uh, so we're only about a 200 years of contract law. There wasn't any contract law in England before that to speak of for reasons that we don't need to go into. So you're reading something about the history of how modern contract law developed, but primarily because the stories are great. They are terrific ways of you developing this skill in a, a medium that is easy for you to relate to. I mean, you can relate to Hamer and Sidway. You can relate to St. Peter. You can relate to, uh, uh, you can relate to all of those early cases. Did you do Bailey and West? Of course. Well, of course. You start with it. You know, I mean, who can't relate to, you know, poor old Bascom's folly? And, and, <laughs> and, and what was going on in that case? Did you ever think, what, what the heck, how did Bascom's folly get to Bailey in the first place? You can imagine what was happening. He takes him back to Dr. Strauss. He takes the horse back to Dr. Strauss because, uh, what's his face, uh, West, West doesn't want it. And Dr. Strauss says, hey, I'm sorry, I sold it to you. Take it back. And here's poor Bailey. You know, uh, uh, he's sitting there in Rhode Island. He's minding his own business. He runs a horse farm. What happens? Well, the, 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 the uh, Kelly, the, the van driver, has got to get to the Boston Red Sox game at 7.30 in the evening, <laughs> right? I mean, he's completely, what the heck am I going to do? Because after all, I, all I was supposed to do is take it back to Belmont Stakes and they won't take it. And so he picks up the phone and he calls West Trainer and Trainer says, I don't care. It's not my problem. It's your problem. So what's he going to do? He sees a sign, Bailey's Horse Farm. He says, hot diggity dog. <laughs> and he brings it in. And then you have a real human dilemma because, of course, he wants to get rid of this horse. And so the question is, well, does, does, does Bailey just take it out of the goodness of his heart? No. No, what's going on here? He drives up. He's got a van. He opens the van. He takes the horse out. He hands it. Bailey comes out. He takes the horse. This happens every day of the week. This is how Bailey gets his horses. He takes it away. 
You ought to feel badly for him. He ends up taking care of that horse for five years and he sells it for shoe leather uh, or glue. But, you know, uh, he gets nothing out of it. Is that right? Does the court get that right? Could there have been an argument that would have allowed that client, Bailey, to win over the rich guy from Boston? Okay? That's what's the point. So why is St. Peter such a cool case? I don't want to give anything away about what you're going to learn, but it is a wonderful case for you to ask just these questions. First thing should occur to you. What's the amount of the lottery here? What's the Somebody tell me. Raise your hand. Because it's an easy question. How much money? $275. Why do we do bank nights if you are St. Peter Pioneer Theater? What's the point? Get people under the seat. Yeah, it's a promotional scheme, right? Okay, so you have a promotional scheme. It's only worth $275. And now what I'm going to do, Anne, is I'm going to hire, if I'm Pioneer Theater, I'm going to hire you and your law firm at probably, what, $500 an hour? I'm going to represent you, have you represent me, and we're going to take this case, not just to a trial court, we're going to take this case to the Supreme Court of Iowa, all right? You're going to charge $10,000, $20,000 in legal fees in order for me to avoid paying uh, a customer $275? Doesn't that, isn't that, doesn't that, don't you think that's weird, right? So you should be saying, what's going on here? And think about it. It's a scam. It's a scam that she's running. She's a bad person. You're in the middle of the depression. Your theater's trying to stay open. How is it going to stay open? We have bank nights, all right? And we the bank nights are to get, Anna's right, you've got to get people in their seats to pay the 10 cents in order to make sure we can still show you movies like Ronald Reagan's Bedtime for Bonzo and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, now what happens? Mrs. St. Peter learns how to beat the system. She doesn't buy the ticket many times. She just does the two things you have to do, right? One thing you have to do is you sign the bank register, she does. What's the second thing? What's the second thing? Somebody tell me. What's the second thing? Yes. Uh, don't you have to claim it within the... Two minutes. Yeah. Now, do you ever think why they did it? Two minutes. What's going on here? Well, why don't they just say, come on. Like we do today. You want to you join in bank life, buy a sick ticket, get in their seat, and wait till they draw your name? Can't do that. The lottery statute prevents you from doing that. So you're a good lawyer. You think, i got to get them in the seats. I can't make them buy the ticket. So what's the next best thing? I make them appear in front of the manager within two minutes. Right? Most people think, if they call my name, and it's only two minutes, i got to be sitting there so I can get there to the manager by the time... The two minutes runs out. Not Mrs. St. Peter. She's out on the street. She's sitting out there on the street. And she has a confederate in there who's going to ask the question or going to call and say, Mrs. St. Peter, your name is called. And so she starts in. And what does the manager do? He turns out the light of the theater. He starts running to the front. Right? <laughs> and he's running as fast as he can. She's running after him. And she finally gets to him. He says, you're one minute, one second too late. You're trying to beat the system, Mrs. St. Peter. So why do they take it all the way to the Supreme Court of Iowa? Because they want to establish the precedent. You can't beat the system by standing in the street because it's just a gift. There's no transaction here. There's no consideration, which simply means there's no bargain. Nothing was bargained for. Now, you know that they lost the case. But the underlying point of that case is for you to understand 
uh, the arguments that were made and the motivation that led them to do that uh, in the first place. And so you read each of these cases and they're jewels, they're wonderful jewels with great human drama. And they're much more interesting for first year law students than reading about sovereign debt. Oh. <laughs> uh, and complicated contracts for trillions of dollars. You'll get to those, but you gotta, you gotta be willing to take the first steps first and enjoy them for what they are. So that's, that's my take. That's basically my